Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we are chatting with Ashton. Um, And Ashton, do you just want to start us off with a little bit of an introduction and tell us about yourself? Sure. So my name is Ashton Huseman. I am a 34-year-old mom of four. I am also a wife. Uh, My husband's a coal miner. We live on the West Virginia-Pennsylvania border. Four kids, two big dogs, chickens. (laughs) Um, Awesome. Yeah. So you must be pretty busy then just day to day with everything. Absolutely. I also homeschool a couple or one of my kids, so it stays pretty busy around here. Well, why don't you just take us to wherever you want to start with all of your pregnancy and birth stories? Okay. So my first one was my oldest. He is he'll be 14 next month. So 2007. And I was pretty young. Um, I was 19 when I got pregnant, 20 when I had him. And the pregnancy was super healthy. It was the easiest, physically easiest pregnancy I've had out of all of them. I think a lot of that had to do with being young and it being the first pregnancy. So everything wasn't already like, um, all my muscles weren't already stretched and all that. So, um, it was super easy pregnancy. I did a very mainstream approach to my pregnancy, did all of the, what you're supposed to do, the OB, every visit, all of that, um, did all the ultrasounds, did all the testing. And at 35 weeks, they did um, a fundal height measurement and I was measuring pretty ahead. So they did a ultrasound and at 35 and two, he was measuring 40 and four or 40 and two. It's been so many years. I can't remember exactly, but I know he was already measuring maybe 42, maybe it's 42 weeks. He was at 35 weeks. He was already measuring with over what they consider full term. And so that day my doctor was like, well, he's too big for you to birth vaginally. We need to go ahead and schedule your C-section. We'll do it for 37 weeks. And I didn't know any better. And it was before it was back in the MySpace days. So it was barely (laughs) (laughs) like what we have now, as far as Facebook groups and being able to network with people. And, and so I just scheduled the C-section and everything went fine. He was 10 pounds, six ounces. Um, at supposedly 37 weeks, I now knowing 14 years later and knowing what I know now and, and how far I've come with education on birth, I believe that my due date was wrong and that I was over, I was already full term and probably would have went into labor any day on my own, but supposedly 37 weeks, um, my C-section was not a traumatic one. It was scheduled. I don't really hold any trauma from it. It was fine, but I also didn't know anything different. And, um, yeah, I healed up really easy and he was big and chunky and beautiful and everything was fine. My next birth was in 2010 and well, hold on. Okay. So my first birth in recovery after my C-section, I remember my doctor telling me I took some extra time. I really made sure everything was stitched up really well. And he kind of planted the seed, like you shouldn't have to have a repeat C-section. And I'm very thankful that he planted that seed in my head because then a couple of years later in 2010, when I had my daughter, I already 
even though I knew I had done no research about vaginal birth after C-section, I had done nothing. I just knew that the doctor had told me that I could. So, and that's um, so awesome. Cause I feel like yeah. a lot of times you hear the opposite right. where you hear the doctors saying like, well, you know, you had a really big baby this time. Chances are mm -hmm. next pregnancy, you're going to run into the mm -hmm. same type of situation. So that's really awesome that just right off the bat, that was an encouraging thing for you. And like, almost no question, like, yeah, you should right. just be able to have a vaginal birth next time. Right. He really planted that seed and he was like, you're young. There's no reason for you to have to be signed up for C-sections for life. I did a really good job. And this was in Houston at one of the like higher end, higher end hospitals. I had good insurance at the time. And I had a great, like, he was great. I know what I know now that was an unnecessary C-section, but that is what it is. He did what he needed to do to set me up for success for vaginal birth, I believe. And he made sure to let me know. So, um, when she had been born, when I got pregnant with my second, I had moved to West Virginia by then. And I knew that I wanted a bad, like my C-section while it wasn't like an awful recovery, it still wasn't comfortable. And I didn't want to go through a C-section again. And I had to go through, through, through three different providers. I still went the mainstream route. I, I didn't know any different. Um, trying to find an OB, even though I was like, listen, my doctor, you can, you can, I'll sign whatever to get the pathology reports and the surgical report from my provider in Houston. And maybe he explains in there how I'm set up to have a, a successful VBAC. I still tried to get talked out of it. Um, and I had to go through three different providers and ended up having to drive about an hour and 15, an hour and 20 minutes to a VBAC friendly provider. And the only way he let me let me quote unquote, let me is that I agreed to do an induction at 38 weeks because of the whole, if you go into labor and you rupture, you and your baby could die, yada, yada, yada thing. Right. And I didn't know any different. And I was just thankful that somebody finally told me, okay, yeah, we can do a vaginal birth. So we did that. Um, I did have some complications during that pregnancy at about 30, 30 weeks, they found a part of her brain was enlarged. There was fluid on her brain. There was all types of stuff that made it like kind of a stressful end of pregnancy. So that's another reason they were able to talk me into the induction. But I also didn't know the risk. Nobody told me the risks of the induction. They only told me like, if your uterus ruptures, we only have so many minutes to get the baby out or you both die. Or, you know, mm -hmm. they only told me the scary part of not doing the induction. They didn't tell me any of the information for the risks of the induction. Which uh -huh. is super interesting too, if they were using, like you said, if you go into labor naturally and your uterus ruptures, well, if you're forcing labor to happen mm -hmm. and then your uterus could still, you could mm -hmm. still have a rupture, whether or not you're induced or you go into labor naturally when in fact going into labor naturally you're less likely to right. have a rupture than having an artificially induced labor so that's really interesting that they said that yeah and they never told me the risk of rupture how small it was they made it sound like it was this like probable thing and it was mm -hmm. scary. and they didn't tell me the risk was one percent or lower like they didn't tell me any of that so i agreed to it and they did and then all the things that they did to, for the induction was setting me up for a repeat C-section too. Thankfully, my body loves giving birth apparently, and it all went successful, but they did Cervidil, a Foley ball, Pitocin, manually breaking my water, um, all of the things, which then resulted in internal monitoring needed on her head. And 
it all went fine and she was born fine. Um, but looking back, they definitely didn't set me up for a successful vaginal birth. And thankfully my body just handled it well. And she was born at eight pounds, 10 ounces, 38 weeks. And then a couple of years later, 2012, I got pregnant again, gave birth in 2013. And I had already had that VBAC, but that provider had moved. So I had to find another VBAC friendly provider. And can you believe, even though I already had a successful VBAC, that I still struggled to find a provider who would right. like back again? I've already done it. And you're going to still try to scare me into it. So I found one. It was a little bit closer, thankfully. And again, um, they did an induction. That was another stipulation. It has to be a controlled thing. We have to have a um, OR on standby in case you rupture. We have to have the OR team here. And da, 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 da. I'm like, okay, fine. And I didn't know any better again. <laughs> like I was just okay, fine. I've already done it successfully once. We'll do it again. And again, they started that one out a little different. They did, um, but I was only uh, 37, I think I was 37, four, 37, six. I was not even 38 weeks yet. And they did a sweep and then sent me for a walk and sent me with admission paper to go over to the hospital and he'd meet me there. So he did the sweep, which was horrendous. Do not, zero out of 10 recommend that. That was awful, awful, even without knowing now, because again, they didn't tell me the risks of damaging my cervix, of rupturing the membranes and having a cord prolapse because of it. They didn't tell me any of those risks, the risks of introducing infection. They told me nothing, just, oh, yep, this is what we'll do. We'll sweep your membrane, send you over. We'll start Pitocin, yada, yada, yada. And did they say why they had wanted to do it so early at like that uh, 38 week mark? It was right before the 38 week mark. And for me, a, a part of it was I was not in a very good situation in my life and was a single mom. And I needed to have the baby while my sister was on vacation so she could watch my other kids. So part of it was me being like, I need this baby born now type thing. But I still looking back wish, I mean, he's healthy. He's fine. It all went fine. But I wish they would have tried to explain to me how much better it would have been for his lungs. And it's not that he has any lungs problems now, but just all the things that I know now, they didn't argue with me about it. They right. Just, like that yeah. informed consent conversation right. and like benefits right. versus risks and all of that. Right. Like I, and it was, I still don't know. I still probably would have consented to it because of the situation with being a single mom and not having help with kids. And I only have my sister and I probably still would have consented to it, but they never took the time to be like, well, do you know that the induction at before 38 weeks and the risks to a fetus being born before 38, they never, it was okay. You're over 37 weeks. Fine. They scheduled it. They did the induction with him. They started with the membrane sweep and then they started Pitocin. They broke my water. Oh, and with my first one, they made me get my epidural at like two centimeters. Like, I don't even remember feeling any contractions with her. Like they just had me get the epidural and scared me. Well, if your uterus ruptures, you have to, wouldn't it be nice to be able to be awake to see your baby be born? Because if you don't have the epidural, we have to knock you out. And oh my so, gosh, yeah, which so I just I'm have to say, I have been at births, a VBAC, multiple VBAC births where the mom has been told that, and they still put the mom under, even though she yeah. has an epidural. So that yeah. if your provider tells you that that's a big red flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, 
the epitome of like being set up for a, an emergency repeat C-section, but thankfully my body does what it does, I guess. <laughs> so, and then they did the same thing with my second VBAC with my third son or my third child. They told me pretty much the same thing. I was like, well, I just want to labor a little bit. I don't feel anything like, and I still hadn't educated myself on birth very much. And I just was like, but I don't want to be in this. And my epidural with my first one, like that was traumatic. Um, epidurals for me are painful, very painful. I feel like I'm being electrocuted. It's like torture to me. And I know that there's some people that love them and, oh, it was the greatest thing ever for me. It's not. And so when I was having my second VBAC and they were like, well, it's time for your epidural. And I kind of tried to, I, I, I had trauma from the epidural from my first feedback. And I was like, well, I really just kind of want to put off that. I don't, um, I don't need it right now. I, and they were just, oh, oh yeah, we're going to, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and start these fluids. Cause you have to have a bag of fluids put through before we can do the epidural. So we're just going to start these fluids. So whenever you want it, and they were in there like every 10, 15 minutes, are you ready for that up? And like, kind of just pressured me. And I finally was like, fine, give me the epidural. And then I talked myself to, okay, well, maybe it was the anesthesiologist's fault while, why it hurt so bad the first time. So fine, we'll do this. So they give me the epidural. And again, I feel like I'm being electrocuted. I jump up off the table. I have nurses who slam me back down. You can't move. You can't move. And it's like an involuntary response. Like my body is jumping and I feel like I have electric shock going down my left leg. Again, it was awful. And so they gave me the epidural and they turn up the Pitocin. Well, then contractions really kick in and they start hurting because of course they're pumping me full of Pitocin and they're like back to back and they're really painful, but I could still feel them. And I'm like, I have an epidural, but I couldn't feel my legs. Well, so they call the anesthesiologist back in and he gives me another dose of the initial medicine and they keep giving me this dose. And I'm like, I can seal these. Well, so they put my bed up. They checked me and I was at six centimeters and they put my bed up in the throne position. It was like, well, maybe it's not pulling right back there. And that's why it's just like my butt cheeks were numb. And from like my mid thigh down, it was numb. And they were like, but I could still feel my stomach and everything. And they were like, well, let's set your bed up and see if maybe it'll help it pull different back there. And then it'll work right. And I, I was like, okay, this is excruciating. So they sat me up. And it started to do whatever they thought they, it would do, but it only worked on my left side. So I could feel like it was crazy. Like my body was split in half and I could feel everything on my right side, all the contractions back to back from Pitocin on my right side. I could kind of move my right leg, but I couldn't feel the left side. And it was really heavy to like the point where my leg was just like flaw. Like I couldn't control my leg. Like they had to do whatever with my leg. Well, um, I felt pressure and I was like, um, I feel like something's going on. And they said, oh, well, they just checked you a couple minutes ago. You're only six centimeters. And I was like, well, I'm telling you, there's something going on. Like I can feel some, something. So I convinced them to look and sure enough, he was like, his head was coming through my cervix. I went from six centimeters to him on my chest in under 30 minutes. And I really wow. think from when they put me in the throne position and had let gravity and stuff help. He just came out, but um, my epidural only worked on half side. So I felt the ring of fire on half of on the right side, but not the left. And then of course the coach pushing and all of that. And he was born really fast, but he was healthy. He was fine. 
And it was kind of weird to only be able to feel half of it. Yeah, but, that must have been like yeah. the strangest sensation. Yeah, it was really, it was really weird because I, I can't even really explain it. Like it just, it was, it was weird. So, but he was born and he was fine and I was fine. And of course they manually extracted my placenta both times, but I didn't think that that was, I just thought that's how it had to be like, oh my gosh, if you're not at the hospital for them to do everything, you and your baby could die. And, um, I got my tubes tied the next day after that one. So I was really like, I'm done having kids. Like these epidurals are too much. This is too much for me. I have three, I have two boys, uh, two boys and a girl. I'm good. I'm done. So that was, she was born in 2000 or he was born in 2013. So fast forward to 2019, my husband and I, you know, I had married and all that. And we decided that we wanted another baby. So we looked at the options and we found a surgeon and I went to Louisville, Kentucky to Dr. Levine, shout out to him, amazing miracle worker. And he did my tubal reversal surgery. So we had tubal reversal surgery in March of 2019. But before I even had that, um, when, as soon as we discussed having another one, I was like, I'm not having an epidural this time and I'm not being induced. And I hadn't really even, I mean, I had started to get into birth more, but not like really dove, dove deep into it. Um, I had started to like show interest and started to read. And I watched that documentary, the business of being born and, I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going through an epidural again. If, if I have to have another, if I'm having another baby, I'm not having another epidural. And if I'm not having an epidural, I'm not having Pitocin. <laughs> I had already pieced that together in my head and, I'm, and I didn't know why yet at the time. I was like, I'm not doing it. So that was probably like 2018 when we first decided, okay, we're going to have another one. So between us deciding that we're going to have another one and me getting my tubes untied in 2019 is when I really started digging into birth because I was like, I'm not having an epidural. So let me start now figuring out how I'm you know, going to get through this without it. And, and that, was home birth on your radar at all at that uh, point? Or did um, that come later? That kind of, I think it, yeah, it, I think at that time, Facebook and all that, and I had seen some different stories and like posts on Facebook. And another reason we home birthed is because by this point, um, I had had a vaccine injured child. And I knew that if we had another one that I would not be vaccinating and my husband agreed, like we, we knew we would not be vaccinating. So, and I didn't want to deal with the pressure of the hospital. Like that scared me. That was another thing. Like I'm, so it was kind of just like, well, I'm going to do this. I had started to get into the quote unquote crunchy mom life because of what I dealt with, with my middle child, my daughter. And it kind of led me. So home birth was kind of it. And like, I told my husband, if we're going to get my tubes untied, I'm not having an epidural. I hadn't mentioned home birth just yet, but I started researching some things and I just kept seeing home birth. And I told him, I was like, yep, I'm going to have a home birth. And he's just like, huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> what do you mean? What? It kind of just leads you down this never ending rabbit hole of yeah. thing after yeah. thing after thing that you're like, oh, I don't have to do this. I don't have to do it that way. Yeah. So I don't remember which like came first, if it was like the home birth or, or like what led me to uh, in which order it went. But 
um, before I even got my tubes untied, we were decided on a home birth. So before we even got to that point, cause I told my husband, I'm not having a hospital birth. I'm not sitting here having to stress out and have to look over the baby. Don't cut his cord right now. Cause I knew, I knew all the things I wanted. I knew I didn't want induction. I knew I didn't want, um, his cord cut until after the placenta had been delivered. I knew that I didn't want vaccines and I knew that I don't have an STI or STD. So I don't need the eye goop. I don't need the vitamin K unless it's tra- like, I'd already educated myself on those things. And I was like, and I don't want to have to be in the hospital arguing with strangers for the rights that I want and the birth that I want for me, my body and my child. I just was like, you know, if we're going to do this, if we're going to have another one, it's going to be a home birth. And my husband bless his heart. Thankfully, he's one of those guys that's pretty much, okay, well, it's your body. You're the one going through it and it's your choice. He did have some concerns because of a previous C-section. And so he voiced a couple of those concerns and I found a midwife and I just scheduled our first visit when he was home and she came and did all of my prenatal care in home. The day she came, he kind of grilled her and, you know, what about this? What about that? And by the end of the meeting, he was like, sure, we'll hire. If that's what you want, go ahead. And he was on board and that was it. It was actually really cool. Like he was open-minded enough to listen and hear me out, even though everybody in his family is like C-sections and super mainstream birthing is like what they prefer. So he had all of that, um, in his ear too. And he thankfully stood by my side and was like, no, uh, but he had already kind of started down the crunchy dad side a little bit. So it already kind of made sense to him. So yeah, um, had my tubes untied in 2019, got pregnant the end of that year. And she was born July, 2020. And one of the questions I get asked all the time when people hear hear that she was born in 2020 is, oh, did you choose home birth because of COVID? Uh, no. <laughs> But had I not, it probably would have been another factor into home birthing, but no, it wasn't. And, but I was so glad that in the middle of all of that, I had a birth that like we, there was nobody wore masks, nobody talked about it. There was no nothing. And we were in our own little bubble for the day. And it was so great. (laughs) It was so great. I don't know where to start about talking about my home birth, but that's kind of where that's the story that led me up to home birth. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the prenatal care that you had with your midwife and kind of what that looked like. It looked like whatever I wanted. And that was a very important part of it too. I was, I was, I was down with going unassisted, like, cause (laughs) I was having trouble finding a midwife because pre COVID um, where I live, there weren't any home, there was home birth midwives through an OB office, but the program here at the hospital dropped the midwives. So there were no home birth midwives. I was having no, no C uh, certified nursing midwives, shall I say. There was none of those in my area to do home birth. So I was kind of freaking out. And I'm like asking friends of mine that are doulas and kind of in my local crunchy mom type community, like, is anybody home birth? Do you know what midwives? And I still was getting the runaround, still couldn't find anybody. And then like the friend of a friend of a friend <laughs> type thing dropped this name and number in my lap and said, why don't you give her a call? I think you guys will really align with your beliefs and, and what you're looking for. I said, okay. So I sent her a text and I was um, very straightforward. Look, this is what I'm looking for. 
really, I only want a midwife here in case of an emergency. I want a hands-off pregnancy. I'm not going to be taking a glucose test. I am not having ultrasounds. I'm not doing the group B pause. I'm not doing any of that. And she said, okay. (laughs) And I was like, what? Wait, you're not going to argue with me. You're not going to try to scare me. And she said, well, no, I I know it was just, we started texting and everything that I wanted, she was on board with and come to find out she's actually, I'm very blessed that I was able to get her as my midwife because she's actually the midwife for my areas, Mennonite and Amish community. And she doesn't take a whole lot of clients outside of that community because they keep her pretty busy. (laughs) And because it's kind of scary for a certified professional midwife to um, practice in a mainstream world. It's, It's kind of scary for them. So she, just as much as I was vetting her, she was kind of vetting me and, um, we just kind of automatically clicked and we started talking about just everything and, um, hospital control and, and unnecessary interventions and the whole leading of, okay, they start Pitocin and then there's D cells and then you end up in emergency C-section it, like, it was just, we just clicked. And I knew, um, I knew that I wanted her to be who helped me through that. And she was totally fine with whatever I wanted. Had I wanted the blood works and all the scans, she would have, I would have had them done at a third, like I just went to the lab and had them done through a third party thing because as a certified professional midwife, she can't write scripts or anything. So I just want to speak to that for a minute too, because Uh I think sometimes when women are looking for, looking for that home birth midwife, I think sometimes we can settle because we know we don't want a hospital birth. And so we just take maybe the first midwife that we come into contact with, or there's only one midwife in my area or only one midwife had the availability to take me. So I just want to comment on how awesome it is that upfront you were like, can you meet these needs of mine? Because this is what I want. This is what I don't want. And I'm not going to settle for anything different. And I wish that more women did that because ultimately you are the one that's in control of your pregnancy and the decisions that you make surrounding your birth and your baby and all of those things. And I think that's really, really important to not compromise what we feel is right or what we want because of what someone else wants, even if it's your home birth midwife or someone else on your support team or whoever it might be. I just, I really commend you for that. That is wonderful. So thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you. I knew like, I would go unassisted before I had anybody in this house while I was given birth that I had to argue with, that I had to question on them being left alone with my newborn. Are they going to try to sneak something? Are they going to try to, once I'm in labor, try to talk me and scare me into, well, I have to do continuous monitoring or like, I just, if, if you on a personal level wouldn't want the type of birth that I want, pretty much not, I guess not that, but well, I don't know. Cause my doula isn't everybody were all, I had multiple doulas here. It was a whole thing, but I just didn't want, I wanted whoever was here to understand. I didn't need, I didn't want to have to explain myself as to why I didn't want these things. I wanted people who understood, respected it, and mostly also would have wanted the same things for themselves. So mm-hmm. that if I was out of it, like if something happened, I didn't have to be trying to be my advocate, that I had a whole team of people that were already going to be advocating for me and know what I want, because it would be the same things that they would want. Right. So that was very, very important for me. 
And she, part of the reason she doesn't take a lot of people outside of the Amish and Mennonite community is because then she has to try to fight for not being forced to do those things. (laughs) She's like, I, my practice doesn't, I don't vaccinate babies. If you want that done, I'll still continue. I'll come to your delivery, but your pediatrician can vaccinate your baby. I'm not doing it. Um, if you want circumcision done, I'm not doing it. Your pediatrician can, um, like, so she already had the values for her practice of what I was looking for, for myself. So I still, she like dropped into my lap out of the sky somewhere. It was amazing. And she actually was from the state, uh, from Maryland and I live on the West Virginia, Pennsylvania border. So she traveled from Maryland to me. And, um, so my, my prenatal visits and stuff. So she came at 12 weeks and that's when we had the meeting with my husband, she and I had already been texting and I was already sold and I just had to sell him. (laughs) So she came at 12 weeks and then she came pretty, um, standard following along with what you would go for visits at, um, an OB's office, like every four weeks up until this point, And then every two weeks and then every week, but because she was a one man or one woman show, um, she had, sometimes I would, she would text me, Hey, I can't make it to your appointment today. I had a mom whose water just broke. I'm at a birth. Okay. Not a problem. You know, I was confident enough in the fact that I could tell if something was wrong with my baby. Um, if there was a concern, I, I knew how to take my own blood pressure. I, um, I was fine with her missing some appointments here and there. And for the most part, because I did pay her a fee for X amount of visits, she would reschedule them. It's not that she just skipped them all together. She would be like, well, I'll just have to come next week. Okay, cool. But when she came, it was really just more like having tea or coffee with your best friend and y'all listen to your baby's heartbeat together. And had I not wanted to use a Doppler, she would have been fine with that. Um, But I was fine with using a Doppler. So we did fundal height measurements. She checked my urine um, and blood pressure, fundal height measurement. We listened to the baby's heartbeat. But if any of those things I would have not wanted, she would have been fine with it. As long as I wasn't showing outward signs of preeclampsia. If I would have been showing signs of any of those things, she probably would have been like, well, Ash, you know, because of this, this, and this, I think we should take your blood pressure. How do you feel? Do you still want to decline? She would have actually not told me, we need to do this. We have to do this. I'm going to do this. She would have given me the information and been like, this is why I think it would be a benefit right now for me to listen to the heartbeat or for me to check your blood pressure or for me to check your urine. But I was fine with those things. Um, a friend of mine actually just had a birth with the same midwife I recommended, and she had a completely free birth. Um, there was no monitoring ever, nothing. The midwife was there for emergency, hands off. It was that fine, whatever. Like she'd never even listened to the heartbeat through a fundal or through a Doppler. Um, so she was thankfully very on board with a mother just being there for support. And in a case of emergency, because she did have the oxygen and she was certified in resuscitation and had the means to, if there's hemorrhaging or or, educated to see those while the mom might not be kind of out of it or, or, you know, riding the hormones of just giving birth to see that there's a hemorrhage. So she was there for those emergency things and anything else we wanted, but definitely didn't pressure me one way or another. Um, When I went into labor and I texted her that morning and I said, Hey, I think my water's trickling. And it was like four o'clock in the morning. I'd got off the toilet and I felt like a trickle. And I said, um, I'm just, you know, I'm just letting you know, I, I don't think I peed myself because I had just emptied my bladder, but I mean, I am pregnant. So maybe, 
but there was definitely like a trickle when I got off the toilet and she said, all right, well, um, keep me up to date. And so we went back, she said, just get some rest, went back to bed. About an hour later, I was laying in bed and well, I'd woke up my husband cause he had to work that day. And I told him like, I think my water broke. And he's like, what do you mean you think either it did or it didn't like, he didn't understand that. It's not like what you see in the movies, like this huge gush. So I lay back down and I'm like kind of anxious. Well, okay. So the day before, actually, I had been in early labor and didn't realize it until like looking back, I was like, oh, that was early labor. Oh, so I had had some like waves of back pain um, that weren't sharp. They were dull and kind of just these waves of back pain. And I knew the go to the shower if eating, resting or a shower stops them. It's not labor. So I had a sandwich, I had a bottle of water, I took a shower, my husband was at work and I was like, well, if these don't, if, and they were forming a pattern and I was like, if these don't stop after these things, I'm going to, to call him home from work. So I ate, took a bottle, uh, drank a bottle of water, took a shower and I laid down and they stopped. So I was like, okay, he gets home from work that evening. Um, he was on afternoon shift, so he didn't even get home from work until midnight. And then we get into bed, wake up, my water's trickling, I text her. And then about an hour later, I'm laying in bed and I can feel like, I'm just like, uh, something's up. There was no contractions or anything, but I was like, you know, something's up. The baby was moving in ways that she normally didn't move. And I just knew. So I felt a pop. I felt and heard a pop. And I was like, yep, there was no gush or anything, but I felt and heard it. And so I elbowed him and I'm like, yeah, my water definitely just broke. And this was like a couple minutes before five o'clock in the morning. And he said, okay. So we got up, I went to the bathroom, still wasn't anything trickling. Um, I peed again. And when I stood up off the toilet that time, I felt something like plop out of me and I looked down and it was my mucus plug and bloody show was on the floor. So I text my midwife and my best friend and my doula. And I was like, yeah, guys, so I'm not in labor, but today's definitely the day just wanted to give everybody a heads up. It was like five o'clock in the morning and they instantly, everybody, okay, okay, okay. Everybody's like, should we head over? Should we head over? And I'm like, no, I'm just gonna, my midwife was like, don't stress, go back to bed. It's fine. Let me know when contractions start. Or, um, and she asked me about the fluid, like, because I did have a little bit of fluid with my bloody show then. And the fluid was clear. There was no smell. Everything was fine. We tried to go back to bed, but obviously we could not. <laughs> So we kind of like put it around the house a little bit. And I had um, gone to the liquor store and got a bottle of wine and some brandy and the stuff for sangria the week before, because I was like, I craved wine my whole pregnancy. And I was like, I want pasta. My afterbirth meal was pasta and sangria. So as soon as my water broke and we knew it was for sure, I'm like in my bedroom, like shimmying and doing squats and there's like little trickles coming out. So I'm like, yep, my water's definitely broke. Today's the day, but there was no labor. So we got up and he and I kind of piddled around the house and I was in there at, I don't even know, like seven o'clock in the morning making sangria. I'm like, yep, we're going to get this ready and in the fridge. Still no labor, just uh, some little trickles of water here and there. It was still clear. My midwife was keeping up with me during, through text messages. My best friend who was a doula, but she wasn't here in a doula capacity for me. She was more like for my kids because um, my older kids they um, were here. So she was kind of just here as my best friend and a second mother to my kids because she's known them their whole lives. So, and then my doula and then her um, backup doula is her best friend. It was actually also my placenta encapsulator. And she texts and she's like, Hey, do you mind if I come with Christy today and hang out? And I was like, no, the more the merrier. And they're both uh, birth assistants with the 
mainstream midwives that I declined because when COVID hit, then magically one of the mainstream like midwives started doing home births, but she required all of the things that I did not want. Mm-hmm. And they are both her birth assistants. So they have to attend and they're going to become midwives. So they have to attend so many births. And I understood that. And so she asked, like, do you mind if I, if I come and hang out today? And she did some rebozo training and different, um, she was like an herbalist or whatever. So she asked if she could come and I said, sure. So she came with her and everybody got here and I'm just kind of like, there was no signs of labor, nothing. So we tried to go for walks and when I would go for walks, some contractions would start, but nothing like nothing painful, nothing intense, um, just some light tightening. So they went and got me lunch from Arby's and we sat on my porch swing and kind of just hung out. And my midwife was texting me throughout that, you know, how's it going? I, you know, I'm not, I canceled all my appointments for today. I'm going to hang around the area. I'm going to run to the store and get some, cause she has chickens and all that too. And she's like, I gotta go get some chicken feed and stuff. So just let me know when you think I should come or keep me updated with fluid colors and all that. I said, okay. And she was texting me here and there. And a lot of people ask, well, why didn't she come then? If your water was broke, why didn't she come? Well, just like when you go to the hospital, is your OB there? the minute, like if you go into spontaneous labor, is it your OB who's in there helping you through labor? No, it's the nurses. Well, my nurse team was my doulas and my best friend and my husband. So she was texting me and about five or about four 30 in the evening. So my water started trickling like four o'clock in the morning and about four 30 in the evening. Um, nothing had really started up yet. Um, I would did some nipple stimulation and some pumping and some clary sage and all those things. And they would pick up a little bit and I would have like some pattern contractions that weren't painful. But as soon as I would relax, they would calm back down and stop. And I told my midwife that, and she said, active labor doesn't stop when you calm down. So let me know when it gets to that point where those things, it's not stopping when you relax. I said, okay. So at about four 30, we decided to go for another walk. And I was walking up my driveway and it hit me like a Mack truck. (laughs) Like this one contraction came out of nowhere. And I had to stop in my driveway and bend over and like focus and breathe through it. And I was like, yep, here it comes. And everybody, and so everybody started getting real excited. So that one um, finished up and I made it the rest of the way up my driveway and I made it to the porch and I picked up my phone. And I was in the middle of sending my midwife a text message like, hey, I just had an actual like legit real contraction. Like people are always like, how am I going to know if it's real labor? And everybody said, oh, you'll know. And nobody, you know, I didn't believe it either, but you'll know, (laughs) you'll know. So that happened. So I texted her and I was like, yeah, so I definitely just had a contraction in the middle of texting or another one hit. So they were about every three to five minutes and she, um, had actually to text back and she said, I'm actually already on my way given um, my doula had said a couple things to her. And she said, given off of, you know, it's been this long, um, it's been about 12 hours since your water broke. And she wasn't concerned about a, a timeline, like, oh, that means anything other than it's probably gonna get ready to be started soon. Not like, oh, your water's been broke for 12 hours. So we need to be worried about something. It was more like, mm, your labor is probably gonna be starting soon and I have an hour drive. So I'm gonna head that way. So she let me know she was already on her way. Um, when she got here, I had been in active labor for probably about a half hour, 45 minutes. My husband and everybody had come in here and set up the birth pool and was filling it up. 
And um, she got here and I asked her, like she didn't come in, let's do fetal this or fetal that, or let's check you or anything. Like she came in and I asked her, I was like, hey, can you check me? And it blew my mind at her response. She said, I will, if that's what you truly want. But I, and I know you know this, but I want to remind you, you know that I am in risking introducing bacteria if I check you. It's not going to tell me anything about how much longer, you, like she gave me the whole rundown, even though she knew that I already knew that, like she reminded me of all of that in the moment. And I totally appreciated it. I still wanted it done. And I still said, yes, I know the risks and I still want it done. And she said, okay. But it was really cool because I'd never had that before. Like anybody else would have been like, it's time to check you. I have to check you. Let's check you. And she was like, are you sure you want me to? Because I had expressed during my pregnancy, I don't want to be checked. <laughs> so she was reminding me of my plan. That's like that informed, actual informed consent conversation right, right there. And her respecting your wishes either way too, like knowing Hey, that's not something that I want. But then in the moment you were like, okay, yeah, it is something that I want. And her yeah. just respecting that either way. That's wonderful. Yeah. And she, she was great. And she checked me and she said, you're, you're at about six. And I was like, what, what? Like labor's only been like 45 minutes and I'm already at six like that. And I know that some people like the, another part of not doing routine checks is because the negativity that can put in mom's head, like, oh, I'm only three centimeters or, you know, I'm only one or. I've been going at this for hours and hours and I'm only six. And so it can like put a negative in mom's brain. And I knew that going into it, but I was actually like, you know, I've only been in labor for 45 minutes. So if I'm two centimeters, I'm going to be excited. <laughs> That's cool. Um, and she checked me and I was at six and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. And that gave me like motivation and excitement because I was defaulting in my brain to when I went from six centimeters to baby on chest in a half hour. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, he's going to, or she's going to be here soon. Well, it didn't go that way, but so I got in the pool and we turned on some music, my husband, my kids. So that's another part of my birth story that I absolutely love is my kids. So they were um, almost 13, just turned seven and 10 because boy, girl, boy. And my whole pregnancy, I had watched birth videos and they knew I was having a home birth. Um, I had prepared them like, Hey, watch this birth video with me. I want you guys to understand. And, and you know, if you hear these noises that I'm okay, I don't want you guys to be freaked out or scared. And it got to the point I was watching so many home birth videos for my own, like preparations that they could be on the other side of the room and they'd be like, mom, is she in transition now? <laughs> like they could tell the difference from that. <laughs> oldest a teenage boy he'd be like oh baby's almost here just off her sounds and I was like this is awesome so and they had an I had an open door policy with my kids I wanted them to experience it I wanted them to be exposed to it I wasn't going to rush them off to a friend or family's house um, I wanted them here and involved but I also didn't want them to feel forced so it was an open door if you guys want to be in here you can if you don't that's cool if at any time you want to be in here and then things get a little bit too intense for you you are welcome to leave and it kind of went that way they were all in and out my daughter not so much because that morning she woke up with an infected tooth oh it was a mess I'm, my best friend had to take her to express care because we couldn't get her into the dentist whole thing so she was sleeping most of the time but my boys were in and out. I have pictures of my teenager uh, putting cold rags on my head while I'm in the birth pool. 
my eight or seven year old son at the time was fanning me with a fan and he's got this big cheese and smile on his face. And he wanted to be, I'd have planned on birthing in the pool and his was, he wanted to be in the pool with his dad. I had told my midwife too, that when it came time for birth, that my husband, I wanted him to catch the baby. I wanted his hands to be the very first ones to touch her. I wanted him to be the very first one to hold her because that's a very intimate moment between, between a mother and a child and the husband or the father or the partner, whatever. But I think on a level like dads don't like, that's a moment that dad, that that's like for dad to bond. And Mm -hmm. you know, dads don't get to carry the baby. They don't get to feel the kicks from the inside. They don't have all of those things. So sometimes for dads, it can be really hard to connect to the pregnancy it can be really hard to connect to the baby. Some dads it's not, um, but for some it is. And I, just to me, it was something that was super important. That was a gift that I wanted to give my husband that nobody else could give him, that he couldn't get anywhere else. And, and it was a moment that we could share that just kind of solidified another awesome reason to home birth. And what an uh, awesome gift that you gave your boys as well. Cause I know you yeah. said your daughter was sleeping and a lot of times we hear like, oh, having your daughter involved in the birth of your baby can be really eye-opening for them as women, just knowing like if yeah. they have babies, this is an option for them. This is what normal birth looks like, all of that. And that's great. I mean, I'm not trying to dog that in any way, but I think for the boys to see it too, Mm -hmm. sometimes we view that as a little more taboo, like, oh, you had your son there when you were giving birth, but Mm. what an awesome way to show him or show both of your boys that this is what birth can look like and that this is all very normal and it doesn't have to be this big, scary thing in the hospital. And I feel like that sets them up to be able to have those bonding moments when their wife or significant other, whoever it is, is pregnant in the future, kind of like what you were talking about with wanting to give that to your husband. Mm -hmm. This sets those boys up for, hey, when I'm going through this, when I'm the one who's about to have a baby, I I know what this is like. I know how I can support her in this moment and Mm -hmm. all of those things. So I think that that is just beautiful. That's so wonderful. Well, my oldest son's dad, he was very confused about why I would be naked in front of our son and give birth in front of our son. And which I mean, I breastfed his little brother in front of him. So he was kind of like, whatever about that. But he was like, he didn't really say anything to me, but his girlfriend and I are like, we're, we're really close. We all get along great. It's a great situation. Co-parenting is wonderful for us. But so she was actually pregnant too. And she, um, she was going to have a, uh, uh, birthing center birth, but she actually ended up having an accidental home birth two weeks or four weeks after I had my home birth and my son was there for it. And why everybody else was freaking out. My son's like, Oh, this ain't, it's okay. This is normal. This is how it goes. <laughs> but anyways, so one of the reasons a big, like, big part of the reason that I wanted, I encouraged my, especially teenage boy to be around the room or be around the birth is for one, he's about to be a hormonal teenager. And before you go out into that world, let me show you, <laughs> let me show you what can happen. So that was a big part of it. And thinking future, like this way he had another viewpoint to advocate to his future spouse about what he could potentially want for his child and for, you know, involving him and seeing that dads have a a role too. 
and husbands have a role. And so it was definitely a big part of it. And the day after my, uh, my home birth, he came in the room and he was riding that oxytocin high too. And he had a big grin from ear to ear. And he said, mom, I hope one day my wife chooses home birth so I can catch my baby. Like Jeff caught her. And it was just this like, Oh, oh and I my cried. gosh. Cried. I have this picture of him. Um, Cause he stood, I ended up birthing on the bed and he stood at the end of the bed and watched the whole thing. I didn't even, I was so out of it. Like I was in kind of like a birth trance at the time. So I wasn't even aware of who was around me or whatever, but later got told and saw pictures. He stayed in the room for the whole thing. And he stood at the end of the bed and he cried and he, I, I kind of vaguely remember him being like, Oh, I see the hair, mom. I see your head. You're doing so good and stuff like that. But right after she was born, I have a picture of her after the, well, it was a short cord. So we had to leave her like on my pelvis area, but after the placenta came out and she was able to be moved up, I have a picture of him like crying and leaned over hugging me. And he whispered, you did it mom. And oh my gosh want to cry just thinking it was that's like, bringing I'm, tears to my eyes yeah wow. <laughs> I'm not to cry right now but it was definitely this beautiful moment and he has such a good bond with his little sister mm-hmm. and all the both the boys do and the younger boy was in and out he wasn't actually in the room for the birth but he was in and out during labor but we gave him unlimited xbox time that day so he was um in his room on the xbox and apparently it was on had his microphone on and was streaming my whole screams and and birth oh. and kept telling people he was seven he was seven at the time and he kept he come in the next day and he said mom I had to tell everybody just ignore that sound that's just my mom having a baby and I was like what <laughs> you think to mute your mic and he's like well I needed to talk to him too <laughs> like oh, oh my, my gosh <laughs> so but he came in right after she came out my mother-in-law um, which bless her heart. And she's, she's great because she had three C-sections. And when I mentioned a home birth, her eyes about bugged out and she just, she was, she was supportive. And the fact that she didn't question me <laughs> and she didn't like try to project her fears onto me, but she like, and she would ask questions during my pregnancy in a very polite manner as a means to educate herself and to be supportive. So, but she was here and she had three C-sections and this was the second vaginal birth she had ever saw. And the other one was a highly medicated one at a hospital. So she hollered down the hallway to him and was like, the baby's here. So he came in and, and he came and with her covered in goop and she had tons and tons of vernix and he didn't even think twice, hopped up on the bed and reached over and touched her and was crying. And most kids would be like, that's gross. And he was he was mad that I had her on the bed because he wanted me to have her in the pool because he wanted to be in there with his dad and he wanted to help catch her. So he was like, mom, you didn't, you got out of the water. (laughs) (laughs) My bad. (laughs) That is so sweet. Yeah. And then we tried to wake up my daughter, but she kind of, she woke up a couple hours later and came in. Is the baby here? I missed it. Yeah, here she is. And So she got to see her then, but she um, definitely wasn't feeling good. So she slept through most of it. Well, let's back up a little bit and take us through the actual birth. We kind of jumped ahead there a little bit. Yeah. Um, So where was I at? Oh, active labor, six centimeters. Active labor, been about 45 minutes. I got in the pool um, and I kind of zoned out, I guess. Um, I had birth affirmations hanging. I decorated the spot, the space real pretty. And I just, in my head, I had like spa music going and I had the lights dimmed and everybody was quiet. 
and I kind of just went through it and I burst or I burst and labored on my back for the most part, which is really weird. And I knew in my head, like, this is not how you're like, you're, you're not helping your body, but it was the only way that I felt comfortable was kind of just floating in the pool on my back. So I would focus on making sure one of the things that I like did to prepare myself on how to make it through labor was just focusing on not tensing up against the pain. And I knew it was going to hurt, but I also knew that my body was built for it. Like it wasn't going to kill me. I was given the gift of the ability to carry and birth this child. Like my body can do it. I can do it. If I could just psychologically keep reminding myself of that. So I, when I would have a contraction, I would just close my eyes and focus on my jaw and my hands. I could not control what was going on in my uterus, but I could control not tensing up like how I reacted to it. And so to me, that was my jaw and my fist. Like people are like, you'll see people say, Oh, squeeze his hand, take it, like squeeze his hand. All that's doing is getting your adrenaline pumping more and causing you more pain. It's not helping you ease through it. So for me, I told my husband and everybody, please remind me my hands and my jaw to stay relaxed as much as I can. And I would talk to the baby. And I said something I remember vaguely about mountains. Like I, I can, I referred to a contraction as a mountain and I would talk to her like, we're almost at the top. We're almost at the top of this mountain. Oh, here we are. Here we are. We're at the peak. Okay. Let's descend. And I just would say that to myself. And I remember my best friend was like, what are you talking about? I was like, nothing. You just be quiet. And she had had three C-sections, my best friend, um, but she was super supportive and home birthing and she's a doula and super educated. She, she, um, she would encourage me, Asha, why don't you like flip over and lean over the side of the pool or get on your knees? And everybody asked, did you cuss your husband out? No, I cussed her out every time she suggested that because I literally would flip over. I tried it and I would flip over and I don't know if baby wasn't in an ideal position or what it would do. But if I got on my hands and knees, or if I tried to lean over the pool, it literally was too much. Like it was too intense. So I kind of just floated. And for me, it didn't feel like it was as long as it was, but it was a long time. And I was just kind of out of it in my own little world in the pool after what I now know was about six hours, I started being like, I was in the pool the whole time. It didn't feel like it had been six hours, but I remember being like, I have to go to the bathroom. And they, my midwife was like, um, do you really have to go to the bathroom or is the baby putting pressure? And I was like, no, I have to go to the bathroom. And everybody was telling me that's the baby. It's the baby. It's the baby. And I was like, I have to poop. I kept to go to the bathroom. So I got out and I went to the bathroom. Of course, that's when my body cleared everything out. And my poor husband at that point was panicking because everybody was like, that means the baby's going to be here soon. Like that's just the baby pushing down. So he thought I was going to give birth on the toilet. Bless his heart. So he started freaking out about that, but he didn't let me see his freak out. Like he kept it. He kept a very cool and calm for me, like I didn't know that he was freaking out because he didn't outwardly show it. But later talking with him, he told me he was terrified I was going to push her out into the toilet. But um, and he stood there and I labored on the toilet for a little while and that felt really good. And then I started getting really, really hot and sweaty and tired and just over it, like over it. So we had set up um, an air conditioner in the bathroom 
so and a fan and, and a rocking chair so I sat on the rocking chair in front of it and tried to cool off and I was like no this ain't it either I was so uncomfortable things were just intense and nothing was making it like it wasn't that I couldn't handle it but it was just definitely different and it was like really intense so I was like well let me get back in the water because that seemed to help so I came in and I got back in the pool and when I got in the water that time it was like overpowering the water was no longer soothing it was intensifying things even more and I didn't know at the time but I guess I was I was in transition or leading up to transition and I was in the pool and um, between contractions, like everybody around me was talking, I, but I didn't hear with any of them. Like I was, I was just floating in the pool and I caught myself falling asleep. And so I didn't say anything to anybody, but in my head, I was like, this is no longer a safe place for you. Um, I, my, my brain just told me like, get out of the pool. This is no longer a safe situation. You're falling asleep. It's making things worse. Get up and take a nap, like get out of the, get out of the pool. So, but right before I got out, I remember saying like, she's stuck. She's stuck. This hurts. This is different. She's stuck. And my midwife, Ashton, she's not stuck. It's just, she's coming, you know, it's just, it's a sign that baby's coming soon. You are doing this. And that was another thing is I requested the people not like, if I said, I can't do this, not for people to tell me you can to tell me I am doing it. Um, I think the verbiage that's used in those moments is very important to the subconscious. And so I, I had asked my husband and everybody to make sure to use, cause I knew it was coming. Like I knew before I was in labor, I told my husband, there's going to come a point where I'm going to tell you that I can't do it, that I'm done, that I want to transfer. Maybe not, but it's probable that I will want to give up. I'll tell you, I'll beg you, please, as long as my midwife tells you that I am not in danger, do not listen to me. <laughs> do not transfer me. I do not mean it. That's just transition. And that means that the baby is coming. So I made sure that he fully understood that before labor ever happened in case it got to that point. And sure enough, it did. So it got to that point and I was swearing she was stuck and my midwife's like, no, she's not. Well, I started telling, begging my husband, I was floating in this pool, looking at him. And I was like, please just take me for a C-section, have her cut out of me. She's stuck. I can't do this anymore. And like begging him, he said that he's never seen me like that. And I vaguely remember it. Um, this part is going most off of the videos and, and what people have told me because I don't really remember it. Um, but I begged him to take me for a C-section and he was prepared for me to be, I want an epidural or I need pain meds, but he wasn't prepared because he knows how badly I definitely never wanted another C-section. <laughs> so he wasn't prepared for me to ask for that. So, um, I ended up telling him like, I got to get out of this pool. So I get out of the pool and I lay down in my, or I get out and I was still mentioning like wanting to transfer and my best friend and my doula were like, Hey, Ashton, my midwife didn't mention it. My best friend and my doula did. They said, why don't you get checked and see where you're at, you know, just so that you mentally can make that decision. Because if, if you're at nine, 10 centimeters, Ashton, then we're not going to make it to the hospital in time. But I, if you're at still six, I can understand where you would want to consider it and, and cross that bridge and talk about it. So I was like, you guys are right. So I got on the bed and my husband got behind me. I had another contraction and then she checked me and I was at nine and a half, pretty much 10 with a lip. So by hospital standards, ready to push, right? That's when they would say, oh, well, let's start practice pushing or, you know, let's get the doctor in here so you can, it's time to push now. It's time to do it. 
And um, nobody said that to me. My midwife just said, yep, you're pretty much complete. There's a little tiny lip there. Not much longer at all, Ashton. We're, we're not going to make it to the hospital if you tried to transfer. And I didn't say anything. I just laid down. Like I, in my head, I was talking, but I didn't actually say anything to them. I don't think I could have formed words. <laughs> um, I was exhausted because my water had broke so early and I was so excited. And I had waited for my husband to get home that night before. So I didn't even get to bed until after midnight and then was up at four o'clock in the morning and then all day. So I was exhausted. And I just, I didn't say anything. I just crawled into my bed and I laid down and I took a nap. And people were like, you took a nap? Yeah, <laughs> I took a nap. My contractions went from every minute and a half to two minutes lasting a minute each. So I was only getting like 30 second breaks between um, my contractions, if that. And my contractions spaced out to every eight or so minutes apart, eight to 10 minutes. And I was passed out. Like I've never slept like that before in my life. I don't feel like, and I was on my side. I was laying on my left side and I would pass out. I would wake up every so many minutes. They later told me it was like around eight or 10. I would wake up. I wouldn't open my eyes or anything. And I like, I think it's important that women hear not all births are these like, Oh, I breathed my baby down. And it was this peaceful at like some people, some women roar and some women really fight through that. And it's all okay. And it's all none. Nobody is a weak because they screamed or stronger because they had this peaceful quietness to them. Um, I really strived to be this quiet, peaceful birther and I wasn't, and that's okay. And it took me a really long time to process that. So I think it's really important that women understand that if you scream, it doesn't mean you're failing or that it's, it's any, like, it's okay. And so I was laying in the bed and I would wake up and scream through a contraction. My husband said it was like starting to freak him out. <laughs> um, oh, and that's a part I didn't, I wasn't aware of. So while I took the nap, the nap and contracting every eight to 10 minutes, and I would wake up and scream through a contraction, pass back out. I never opened my eyes and I was just on my bed in my own world, but my husband, had left at that time and went outside and had like a breakdown moment because, and his mom went out there with him and my, my best friend, um, and kind of, and my doula and they all talked to him and he was like, you know, I was prepared for her to ask, you know, it's hard for him to, for a man to see his wife in pain like that. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to stick to what you promised when everything was fine, but now you see her screaming and, and in pain and, and you want to stop it and you can't. And you know, she asked you not to transfer, but he was like questioning, should I for a second, you know, should I ask for that? Because my midwife, unless it was an obvious, an obvious emergency, she would have required my husband to be like, yes, I think my wife is truly asking for a transfer, not because it's transition, but like she truly wants it. So um, he was like, I know she doesn't want me to, but this is really scary for me right now. Like she's screaming and th this is a lot but he didn't let me see any of that. And I didn't know that it had happened until days later. So he had his little moment. And by the, when he came back in and that's the thing too, that was crazy is when he would leave the room to go get more hot water or to go get a drink or to take him a break when I was in labor, when he was in there with me, he was touching my shoulders or holding my hand or, or brushing my hair or rubbing my face. He was supporting me. And if he left, I swear he was like my pain medication because my body would just know he wasn't there and things would be super intense. But then when he'd come back in and he was touching me, it was so insane. 
so insane. I don't even understand how it worked that way. But like, he was my pain medication somehow. And when he would touch me, my body would just be like, okay, I guess felt safe. And I was, things were manageable. So he came back in and about the time he came back in, um, I started to come to more, the contractions started to pick up and be closer together. And I didn't say anything to anyone, but in my head, I was processing what was happening. I could feel them picking back up. I could feel fetal ejection reflex starting. Like my body just started to kind of bear down on its own. And I started to come to, and I was like in my head, okay, all right, we're pushing her out but I didn't say anything. <laughs> like I just laid there in my own little world. And, um, I started to, um, the fetal ejection reflex started some, and I knew what I recognized what it was. I knew that meant that she was coming and I had to hold myself. All right. You know, we're just going to apply a little bit of our own pressure behind this. And I talk about we, like I'm a multiple personality or something, but <laughs> you and your baby, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that's true. Right. Right. So I was like, okay, I'm going to bear down a little bit and I'm going to put um, some pressure behind these and my head, I had to catch myself because instinctively I defaulted back to holding my breath, 10 count pushes, bearing down. And I had to, in my head, remind myself that is not how you do it. So I just, would breathe and push a little bit. And I would count to like three, just a little bit, whatever I could handle before that threshold was too much. And so I worked with my body and I kind of pushed down some. Um, and the, then I finally spoke to people in the room and that was when I felt her, I felt her pop through my cervix, slide through the birth canal and like thud up against my pelvis and start to crown. And I yelled, she's coming. And about that time, there was the huge gush of all the waters and everything came out all over the bed. Uh, but everybody's really good. They shoved towels and chucks pads under me. And there was only a tiny little spot on my comforter and it washed right out. And so she started to crown and I didn't move. I stayed on my left side. My doula held my leg up. My husband got down there. Everybody surrounded me around the bed. My doula or my midwife stood at the end of the bed. She put on gloves and, um, we waited and nobody told me, okay, push or not push or nobody told me anything. I just followed my body. Um, people would say things like, oh, I can see her hair. Or my husband was like her wrinkled little head. I can see it. Good job, Ash. You're doing this. Things like that. But nobody was like, push, push one, two, three. I would have probably kicked somebody in the face. <laughs> like it was very clear that that was not to be done. Um, so she crowned her head came out, but with her head also came a cord pre prolapse. So at that moment, my midwife did not say, and I didn't know at the time, another thing I didn't find out till later, my midwife kind of nudged my husband and pointed, like didn't verbalize. Um, I think there, she think, I think in the video, you can kind of hear her mutter, Oh, there's a cord, but it wasn't like brought to my attention or, Oh my God, there's a cord. We need you to like, she just stepped forward and lifted up her chin. So that the cord wouldn't compress. She didn't tell me push. She didn't say anything. She waited for me to push. And then, so my husband held his hands there and she just held and he caught her body, but she did step forward to make sure the cord didn't get compressed. And, but it still wasn't like in the hospital, I would have already been in an emergency C-section when my contraction spaced out at 10 centimeters went from on top of each other to eight to 10 minutes apart, that would have been failure to progress and, you know, rush mm -hmm. off to emergency C-section. So 
Um, she didn't say anything. She kept moved the head out of the way so that the cord didn't compress. And um, her shoulders came out. And I said, is she out? And they said, and she said, no, but probably one more push. And before she could even say one more push, I was over it. I didn't wait for another contraction. I just shot the baby out. I was like, get out. <laughs> so that's when I like held my breath and bared down. And, and I birthed her from her like chest down that way. And it was beautiful. And she was huge, <laughs> which is so funny because I had a C-section for a big baby. But here I was. And I just birthed another baby over 10 pounds as a VBAC on my bed. And yeah, so she was born 10 pounds, one ounce, 22 inches um, on my bed shortly before 2 a.m. Caught by dad, other than that little bit of a, my midwife helped just to keep the cord, help deliver her head some, but she didn't tug or pull on me or the baby. Um, she just helped kind of guide so the cord didn't get compressed. We waited, nobody Nobody clamped a cord or cut a cord. My midwife then stood back as soon as um, she was laid on my pelvis. My midwife stepped back and started cleaning up and all that. And we waited. Um, she laid on my pelvis because it was a short cord. So she couldn't come up to my chest. Ideally, I had wanted her to come up to my chest and start nursing to help encourage afterbirth contractions to get the placenta to come out. But she had a short cord, so it didn't work that way. We left everything alone. She, it took a little around 40 minutes and the placenta birthed on its own. And then that's when I sat up and we did first latch. And um, my teenage son actually is who, when um, we picked her up off my pelvis and for me to get situated and sit up and my husband to help me sit up, um, my teenage son is actually who held her while we did that. So he was the first person other than my husband and I to hold her. And I got sat up in bed and I had a bralette on and I took that off and he gave me the baby and we did first latch and everybody just kind of smiled and was how amazing and talking and just everybody was riding, you know, the oxytocin wave there. And then we did the weighing of her with the placenta and everything still attached, um, measurements, all of that. And then my, I clipped the cord off and my husband cut it. Um, and then my placenta lady took my, oh, we did the inspection of the placenta. The midwife sat on the bed and, and showed my kids and my husband and everybody, my mother-in-law who had never seen anything like this, bless her heart, um, show like held up the sack of the membranes and like went over the whole like inspection to make sure there was no pieces behind it and explained what she was doing and showed everybody. And it, that was really cool. And she um, showed how the cord didn't um, form on the center of my placenta. It actually attached on the side, which is um, kind of funny because since she was a tubal reversal baby, my fertility specialist, once we got pregnant, we had to have blood work done because I was at a higher risk for low progesterone with pregnancies and ectopic pregnancies. So that's the only things I had done during that pregnancy was very beginning just to make sure she was in the right places. So I did have some blood work done there. My progesterone was low. So my fertility specialist had me on progesterone. And my midwife said that a lot of times when the um, cord will attach on the outside, that those pregnancies normally have some complications in the beginning and don't always go to term. Um, but thankfully mine did. And um, I think it is because my fertility specialist had me on that progesterone in the beginning. So how did that postpartum time, like the couple next days, weeks, months, uh, compare to your other births? Okay, so this is where it's not like the most beautiful thing. So I had a pretty bad labial, labial tear. And um, I mean, it was still better 
but I had to go, I had to transfer two days. She was two days old and I went to the emergency room to have a catheter put in, um, because I hadn't urinated in 24 hours and I was at risk, um, of a bladder rupture because I was drinking so much fluid to make breast milk. But, um, when everything, like right after she was born, she inspected down there she said, your perineum or your perineum or whatever is fine. You're good. You don't have any tears down there. You have a little tiny skid mark up top or around your clit and labial labial area. Um, it doesn't look too severe. Just, you know, it'll heal on its own. It's not something that I think needs stitches. Just, you know, don't sit Indian style, keep your legs closed, no stairs. Give me that whole thing. Let it heal naturally type thing. I said, okay. Well, with everything so swollen from just having a birth, it's kind of, I guess, hard to tell exactly. But once the swelling started to go down, no, it was, it was a pretty extensive tear. My labia where it connects to your like clit detached and ripped um, pretty far. So every time I would try to go to the bathroom and anytime after you have a vaginal birth, there's like the stinging and, you know, you use the peri bottle and the sprays and all that. Um, but my body literally would not let me pee because where the tear was, I would, it would just be, my labia was hanging and I was peeing onto this open wound and it was the most excruciating thing ever. I tried, I tried peeing like a wet rag and to pee on it. Um, I tried the peri bottle, but even like the tap, even the peri bottle water, like the water from just regular plain water caused me, like, it felt like acid. So I called my midwife and I was like, listen, um, I think I need to get looked at. So she came over and she looked and she said, yeah. And because we're so far out past birth, it's like, I can't stitch it. And she didn't have the stuff to give me a catheter with her. And she said, but this hospital near my house, she's like, I have a friend um, that's the midwife there. I'll call and let them know that you're coming and they'll put a catheter in for you and we'll let it heal. You know, I'm sorry. It really didn't look like anything other than a little tiny skid mark. Um, but you definitely need to go get seen and have your bladder. At this point I hadn't peed in over 24 hours. And when my husband and I were walking to the car, like with every step I had pee like trickling out of me, it was, it was awful. Like it's graphic to talk about. Um, my poor husband, I was in the shower trying to pee just with the water running, standing up, sitting down, like I was just trying and I couldn't, I was trembling in pain. Like I've like, that was worse than anything I've ever felt in my life. So, um, I went to the hospital and of course they all were like, what a hammer, because the, because of COVID, they wouldn't let me in the hospital that she had sent me to if, unless I left my baby. So here I am, I had fought so hard to not be separated with my baby. I fought so hard to give birth on my terms. And here I am having to go get this catheter, which that part wasn't bothering me too much, but they were like, your baby can't come in with you. And you just, you weren't, it wasn't happening. I wasn't leaving my baby. So we found a hospital that agreed that if we signed, like if our baby caught COVID, we won't hold them responsible type thing. So we went to this other hospital and they were complete jerks and rude and honestly violating. It was not a good experience with the hospital at all. But I got the catheter put in and after they put it in and they drained my bladder and they were like, okay, we're going to take it out. I'm like, no, you're not. I'm taking it home. I'm signing out against medical advice. You're leaving the catheter in and I'm leaving. I'll take it out on my own. <laughs> I'll take it out of my own in a couple of days, but I'm leaving it in there. So they sent me home with the catheter and um, about three days later, um, 
my husband and I, once I felt like it had healed up enough, um, my husband and I took the catheter out and it was fine. So, I mean, it was only like the first four or five days were hard. And that was just because the first day or two of pain and then the catheter obviously allowed everything to heal. So then I didn't have any, like my healing down there. It wasn't painful. I was good, like just tender. Um, and then we took the catheter out and I was able to pee on my own without pain. And then after that, it was fine. So the first couple of days were kind of traumatic. My midwife said she thinks that when I didn't wait for another contraction and I just shoved her out that I, her hips or something twisted. And my best friend said that she was watching it and she saw it, but it didn't even look like it was that serious when it tore that it just looked like a little tiny, just like paper cut almost, but it ended up being way more than a paper cut. So that kind of sucked, but I would still choose home birth again. Like I, even going through that, it was still to be able to birth on my terms and to give my husband and my family and my kids the gift of being exposed to that. It was still a hundred times over. I'd choose it again. And I know you said that it was graphic to share all those details, but I think that that's important to share too, because I think that there's always those little pieces whether it's just a small thing or a bigger thing like this that don't go maybe exactly how we pictured it or exactly how we planned it. But the fact that you said, well, I would still choose a home birth and all of the benefits that I got from that home birth, Mm. even if this complication happened again, I think that that shows how much the benefits outweigh things that might happen there. Absolutely. My only other question for you is for any women that are currently trying to decide if they want to go the home birth route, if maybe they want to go to the hospital to have a VBAC, if they're not sure if they want a vaginal birth or another cesarean, what would you have for them advice-wise or just things that you learned along the way that you would want other women to know? Well, every woman, regardless VBAC or not, hospital birth or not, watch a business of being born, um, really understand how industrialized birth has been because we're not like hospitals are for the sick and dying in emergencies and birth shouldn't automatically fall into any of those situations. Um, and even if you choose to want a hospital birth, because that's where you feel safer, still understand that you are in control, that you are hiring these people to provide you a service and they can provide your service or you can find somebody else. Be your own advocate, really educate yourself. Don't just think, it's really hard to not get bullied into, um, well, we have to do this. Make sure if you need to hire a doula or somebody to advocate for you, or if your partner's not supportive or doesn't have that voice to be an advocate for you, that you have somebody that will be. And then just really really sit back and picture what do I want my birth to be like? How do I view, how do I imagine? Like if I could have the birth of my dreams, is that medicated? Is that unmedicated? And either way, it's okay. Like, because other women choose to advocate for unmedicated births, it's okay if you choose a medicated birth, but just make sure that you're getting that informed consent, that they're not just telling, you're not just being told the risks of not doing something, that you're also being told the risks of the procedure. Okay, an epidural, what is the risks of it? Because they don't tell you it contains fentanyl. They don't tell you that those drugs transfer to your baby and that's why babies are lethargic after birth. 
They don't tell you so many things. So just make sure that you're giving yourself informed consent and that you call your providers out on it if they're not giving it to you because somebody needs to, something has to change. And that's going to change by women really educating themselves and calling these providers out. Like you're hiring them. So don't let them bully you. Um, Know your rights, understand your birth, know that you were born to do this. Like your body will not fail you. Big babies aren't a reason for automatic um, C-sections. I could go on to a whole list of reasons that uh, definitely aren't reason for C-sections that they will try to tell you are and just follow your gut and do really what you feel is best for you and just advocate for yourself. Thank you so much just for being willing to share all of your stories and everything. Thanks for really appreciate it. Um, I love talking and love sharing and um, I could talk. It's a subject that I could talk about for hours and hours and hours. And even like the quick version is still like an hour and a half. So, <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.